Hi friends, how are we doing? Long time no see. I hope you've had a great summer. Uh, my summer was quite great. Um, lots of exams. Uh, lots of studying, lots of research. I am a bit of a nerd, so that's pretty much in my wheelhouse. Um, but it's really nice to be back, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome to History Made Beautiful, a podcast about the beauty, diversity, face, and community in world history. Here is your hostess, author and historian, Martini Fischer. Man the Hunter. I don't know if you've heard it before, but it's an early 20th century human origin story. And it sees hunting as the primary driver of human evolution. And the story emphasizes um, our ancestors' bipedalism, large brains, sharp tools, and probably most crucially, an insatiable desire for violence. Now, according to the story, hunting also gave rise to the concept of the nuclear family, with women serving as those who waited at home for men to bring home the meat and so on. But through decades of field research, anthropologists have developed a more flexible and more comprehensive view of human labor, which holds that neither men nor women are particularly biologically inclined to gather or to hunt, as the case may be. In 2018, archaeologists uh, gathered around an excavated burial from 9,000 years ago in Peru's Andes Mountain, and along with a human adult's bones, they found an extensive kit of stone tools that an ancient hunter would require to take down big game, from engaging the hunt to preparing the hide, um, including a colorful, colorful array of 24 stone tools when excavating the burial. Large rocks for cracking bones or stripping hides, um, small rounded stony bits for carving fats from pelts, tiny flakes uh, with extra sharp edges that could have chopped the meat, uh, red nodules that could have helped preserve the hides of animal bones, including those of ancient llamas and deers. Um, they also discovered those. Um, so initially, the team assumed that this was the grave of a great hunter, somehow, and a prominent member of society. Then further investigation revealed that the remains discovered alongside the toolkit belonged to a biological female. And furthermore, it is unlikely that this ancient female hunter was an outlier, as when the individual cases were examined as part of a more extensive data set, they discovered that of the 27 burials of individuals with known gender buried with hunting tools, 11 of them were female, while 16 of them were male. So following this discovery, a review of previously stud uh, studied burial of similar age across the Americas revealed that 
30 to 50% of big game hunters may have been biologically female. So with that in mind, let's move on to the wild hunt. So the wild hunt is first mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles, uh, one of the oldest sources of Anglo-Saxon history in 12, no, 1127 AD. And the wild hunt is a folk myth in central, western and northern Europe, which depicts a ghostly leader with a band of hunters and hounds flying through the cold night sky with the howling wind. The supernatural hunters may be described as the dead, elves, or fairies. The wild hunt was associated with significant winter storms or seasonal changes in northern tradition. The concept of the soul of the dead being carried away in the wild hunt was popularized in 1835 by author and mythologist Jacob Grimm in his um, in his books in which he combined folklore with textual evidence from the Middle Ages to the early modern period in his interpretation of the story. So he believed the myth had pre-Christian origins and that its leader was based on the darker aspects of Odin's legends. He also suspected the hunt's leader was actually a woman, and possibly the Germanic heathen goddess Birkta. The figure of Birkta, a once popular Germanic goddess, lives on in German, Swiss, and Austrian folklore. Before the rise of the church, Grimm described her cult as being centered in southern Germany, near the Black Forest, spreading through the Swiss Alps, Austria, and Czech Republic, Slovakia, France, and northern Italy. Um, she was a well-loved goddess who protected babies, children, and women, and Grimm depicted her as a guide to the afterlife, caring especially for the souls of babies and children, just as a mother would. In Bursta's story, a grieving mother sees her recently deceased son following a group of children along the hillside. The children are following a motherly woman dressed in a white gown. The boy breaks away to speak to his distraught mother. So he holds up a bucket of water, which he claims is his mother's tears, before he tells her not to cry for him because he is safe and sound under the watchful eye of the white lady. The white lady was Bertha. Bertha wears a belt equipped with three golden keys because she is associated with the circle of life and death and rebirth. She wore a long white gown and her lengthy black hair was braided on the side of her head. In later tales, Bertha appears as a crone, an older woman in a disheveled dress. Bertha's uh, shape-shifting abilities are another critical aspect of her. Um, she also takes on the form of a swan. Many of the ancient deities were connected with the animal world and were shapeshifters or deified land spirits, so this could have indicated that one of her abilities was to protect wildlife or serve as a divine 
um, guardian of beasts. So after the church rose to power in the Middle Ages, Bertha became less and less godlike. Uh, she was no longer revered as she once was. And because of her wide, widespread cult, the church was forced to demonize her. So they reduce her status from a goddess to a witch, and then in later tales, she appears as a hag or a crone. Again, an elderly woman in a disheveled dress. We can never talk about the goddesses of the hunt without including Artemis here somewhere. So let's do that. Let's do that now. Artemis, the ancient Greek goddess of the hunt, is perhaps the most well-known of the all the hunting goddesses, and she would frequently roam the Greek forest leading her large entourage made up of nymphs and mortals and hunters, all of whom were virgins. She is also the goddess of wilderness, wild animal, um, nature, childbirth, and virginity. Um, speaking of her virginity, Artemis's virginity was an essential aspect of her persona and worship, so her status as a virgin goddess is likely linked to her primary role as a huntress. Um, so here's the thing. Hunters have traditionally abstained from sex before hunting as a form of ritual purity because the scent might scare away potential prey. The ancient cultural context in which Artemis was worshipped, also held that virginity was required for marriage and that once married, a woman became subservient to her husband. Thus, as Artemis remained a virgin, she uh, got to retain her independence and answer to no man. And she thoroughly enjoyed her independence uh, that comes with her virginity, so she fiercely defends it. When she suspects that the river god Alpheus is in love with her on her visit to his domain with her companions, she covers her face in the mud so she uh, so he doesn't recognize her. And when the titan Ipetus, I uh, I think that's his name, Titan Ipetus' son, uh, sees Artemis, he also considers raping her. After understanding his intention, Artemis strikes him down. Uh, and according to a version of the story told by Ovid, uh, Actaeon, a hunter, was returning home from a long day of hunting in the woods when he came across Artemis bathing in her, um, with her retinue of nymphs. So panicking, the nymphs rushed to cover Artemis's naked body with their own while Artemis splashed some water on him, telling him he was welcome to tell everyone about seeing her naked as long as he could tell it at all. And after she said that, he was transformed into a deer and fled in terror. But he didn't get very far because he was pursued, apprehended, and devoured by his own 50 hunting dogs, who obviously could not recognize their own master. Um... Speaking of the naked body of the uh, of a goddess, I have written something about this uh, as well in reference to Athena and Tiresias. I will put in the link to the corresponding article below in the show note. 
I mean, I can never get used to um, talking about show notes. I should, really. Um, anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. Artemis's relationship with children is concerned not only with birth, but also with death. The story of Niobe, Queen of Thebes, and wife of Ampion, who boasted that she was superior to Leto, is a very ancient one. Um, Homer was evidently aware of it and wrote that Niobe had given birth to 12 children, six sons and six daughters, equally divided. Pleased with her fertility, Niobe uh, claimed to be a better mother than Leto as she had many more children. Enraged at this arrogance, Leto called her children and charged them with exacting vengeance on her. Unfortunately, Leto's children were um, Apollo and Artemis, so they arrived in Thebes quickly. Apollo crept up on the sons where, while they were out hunting and killed all six or seven of them with his silver bow and sent their corpses back to their father's place. And seeing them, Niobe cried. However, not learning her lesson, she insisted that she was still better than Leto because she had seven daughters, while Leto only had one. So, of course, hearing this, Artemis started shooting each of Niobe's daughters one by one. She dispatched her final bow as Niobe uh, begged for her younger, um, youngest daughter to be spared. And as her last bitter tear fell, Niobe was turned into a rock. After seeing his dead sons, Niobe's husband, King Ampion, committed suicide. And thus Apollo and Artemis brought destruction to the whole royal family. Diana, the patroness of the countryside, Hunter's Crossroads and the Moon, is a Roman goddess associated with the Greek goddess Artemis, and she absorbed much of Artemis' mythology early in Roman history including her and her twin brother Apollo's birth on the Greek island of Delos, to parents Jupiter and Leptona this time. Although, like Artemis, Diana was regarded as the patroness of childbirth and a virgin goddess, her persona is more complex with several archaic traits. In early Roman inscriptions, for example, she was primarily a uh, celebrated as a huntress and patroness of hunters, but later she came to be revered as a goddess of the uh, quote-unquote tame countryside, or Villa Rustica. Um, the philosopher Proclus described Diana as, and I quote, the inspective guardian of all that is rural, who repress all that is rustic and uncultivated. Nearly a millennium after her cult's arrival in Rome in the 5th century AD. A typical description of Diana, popularized by Roman poet um, Nemesis, described her with her hair gathered in a ribbon. She wears a golden cloak, purple half boots, and a belt with a jeweled buckle to hold her tunic together. A Roman coin from the 1st century BC depict uh, her with a distinctive short hairstyle and in three forms, one holding a bow and the other a poppy. Beginning in the late 6th century, 
um, at her sacred grove on the shores, Diana was worshipped as a triple goddess known as um, Diana Triformis. The three aspects of the triple goddess are Diana, Luna, and Hecate. In fact, trivia was Diana's first epithet, and she was addressed as such by Virgil and Catullus. The term trivia comes from the Latin trivium, which means three ways, and refers to Diana's authority over roadways, specifically a three-way crossroads. Because it's symbolically pointed the way to the underworld, this role had a dark and dangerous connotation. Um, in his first century play, Medea, uh, Seneca's titular sorceress summoned Trivia to cast a magical spell. So she invokes the three goddesses, Diana, Selene, and Hecate, uh, claiming that she needs Hecate's ability. The huntress aspect of Diana is also heavily reliant on the crossroads symbol, as it can represent the paths hunters may encounter in the forest that are only illuminated by the full moon, making decisions, shall we say, in the dark, without the light of guidance. Diana's role as a goddess of the underworld, or rather the usher of people between life and death, is somewhat reminiscent of the Germanic Bertha, isn't it? A, a, a pit and a tunnel in her sanctuary at Lake Nemi make it um, made it easy for actors to descend on one side of the stage and ascend on the other, implying a connection between the phases of the moon and the moon goddess's descent into the underworld. Also likely a continuation of her relationship with the moon, whose cycles were thought to correspond with the menstrual cycle and were used to track the month during pregnancy, Diana was frequently regarded as a goddess of fertility and childbirth, as well as the protection of women during childbirth. Worshippers left votive terracotta offerings in the shapes of babies and wombs for the goddess at her shrine in Arisia, and the temple also cared for puppies and pregnant dogs. This infant care included training both children and dogs, especially for hunting. Nath, which means she is the terrifying one, was an early ancient Egyptian deity. Her cult was centered in the western Nile Delta of Lower Egypt and can be traced back to the first dynasty. She is the first creator of all and the governess of the universe as the goddess of war, childbirth, hunting, and cosmos, among other things. Nath is depicted as a woman wearing the red crown, occasionally holding or wielding a bow, an arrow, or a harpoon, even. Her emblem consists of two cross arrows on a shield. As a goddess of war, uh, she was said to oversee the creation warrior's weapon and guard the warrior's bodies when they died. Uh, Nath is a typically depicted as a deity with the scepter, or a symbol of rule and power, and the ankh, the symbol of life, to show her strength. She is known as the um, 
I, I will just quote that she is known as the cow of heaven, a sky goddess similar to Newt, who gives birth to the sun day, um, daily. She was also the personification of creation's primordial waters as the bringer of the great flood, which associates her with both the creation of primeval time and the daily so-called recreation of these forms. Her first representations appeared in the early dynastic period on a diorite vase of King Ninetjer of the Second Dynasty. The vase was discovered at Saqqara's Dozer Step Pyramid, um, and the abundance of theoporic names, that is, personal names that include a deity's name with Nate as an element, demonstrate that her worship was prevalent during the early dynastic period. The predominance of her name, particularly in terms of four First Dynasty royal women, clearly emphasized the goddess's importance in Egypt's early society, particularly in her association with the royal house. And another description of Nath was that of a woman uh, nursing a baby crocodile, and she was known as the nurse of crocodiles. This refers to the southern provincial mythology in Upper Egypt, where she was the mother of Sobek, the crocodile god. She was also known as um, the great cow who gave birth to Ra. As a maternal figure, aside from being the birth mother of the sun god, Ra, uh, Nath is associated with Sobek as her son. But no male deity is consistently identified with her in a in a pair in later religion uh, religious convention that paired deities so she is frequently represented without a partner um, which indicates her independence from men some more similarities between nathan diana are her many roles based on her attributes so during the pre-dynastic and early dynastic periods she was known as the opener of ways, which may have referred to both her leadership in hunting and war and to her role as an escort of souls to the underworld. Her name appears in the titles of women who serve as priestesses to the goddess. Because she was also the goddess of war, um, Nate had a different association with death. In his role, well, she shot her arrows into the enemies of the dead and thus came to be regarded as a protector of the dead, um, frequently appearing as a snake to ward off intruders and those who would harm the deceased. She is also portrayed as the protector of one of Horus's four sons, especially Duamutef, the deity of the cano um, canopic jar containing the stomach because the abdomen was one of the most vulnerable parts of the body and a prime target during battle. Another ancient Egyptian war goddess is Paket. She is most likely a regional deity related to those who hunted near water at the desert's edge. Like Nate, uh, one of her title is she who opens the ways of the stormy rains. This perhaps referred to the flash floods um, caused by a storm in the area. 
uh, she was also a huntress uh, who roamed the desert alone at night in search of prey, earning her the title Night Huntress with Sharp Eye and Pointed Claw. Um, her expertise for hunting drew the Greeks who later occupied Egypt for three centuries to associate her with Artemis. As they were preserving Egyptian religious traditions, the Greeks tried to align Egyptian deities with their own. Um, as a result of this, they named this underground temple Speos Artemidos, Cave of Artemis, a name that has endured, although Artemis is not an Egyptian goddess of the hunt. 